All right, Carolina Panthers fans, what do you want first? Do you want the good news or do you want the bad news? Let's start with the bad news first. Let's get this out of the way. Uh, You already knew this was coming this week. We've talked about it. We talked about it Monday. We talked about it a little bit yesterday. Carolina Panthers have lost four games in a row, three and six on the season. They've been competitive. They've been competitive in these four losses. Hung right with the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs this past weekend. Teddy Bridgewater looked great. But you've lost four games in a row, and now you've got a date. With I'm going to call him division rival. I don't know if there's a, really a ton of bad blood. I know you can, I know you hate anybody in your division, but I don't know if there's a ton of bad blood necessarily between Carolina and Tampa. But when Tom Brady's in your division, he automatically has escalated to right at the top. Let me take this gum out of my mouth. It's probably not good to do a radio show with gum in my mouth. Um, <laughs> Tom Brady's automatically elevated to division rival. Well, that is who the Carolina Panthers are going to see this weekend. And based on the news that we have gotten from Ian Rappaport this morning, NFL Network's Ian Rappaport tweets out earlier this morning, Panthers running back Christian McCaffrey dealing with a, quote, painful shoulder injury suffered Sunday, will not practice today, source said. His status for Sunday is further in doubt. So breaking news, we'll go ahead and uh, confirm this here on the Sam Avalos Show. If you're not practicing on Wednesday and you're a $64 million quarterback, or excuse me, running back, and you've already missed five games this season because of an ankle injury, and then in one game back you injure your shoulder, and they're describing it as painful, and he's not practicing. Panthers have a bye coming up in about three weeks. I said it, remember at the beginning of the year after the ankle injury, Matt Rule said that when C-Mac comes back, he wants to have a good team for him to come back to. And I said that made me worry that we weren't going to even see C-Mac at all again this year because why risk the guy? Because if you are going to, you know, and everybody wants to do the argument of, well, this is why you don't pay the running backs. And I get that, and I'm in that camp. But at this point, they've paid him, so you just got to deal with it. If you've got this much money tied up in Christian McCaffrey, he's having this kind of injured season, there is no harm. There is absolutely no harm at all in shutting this guy down for the season. There is no harm at all in shutting this guy down for the season. When you think about the workload that Christian McCaffrey, this is his fourth season. This is his fourth season in the NFL. Through his first three years, what was the offense in Carolina? It was all Christian McCaffrey. He was the leading receiver and the leading running back for virtually three years, including last year when he had 1,000 rushing yards and 1,000 receiving yards. If I'm the Carolina Panthers, Christian McCaffrey's not seeing the field the rest of the season. I want this guy to be 100% healthy. And, okay, I think it's a week 12 bye week for Carolina. I might be wrong, but I know it's one of the later weeks. I know it's not this week. I know it's not next week. Uh, so what? So yeah, I will leave it at week twelve, I believe. If he's coming back at week thirteen, and let's say out of the bye week, Christian McCaffrey is completely healthy. In what world would it make sense to trot him out there for a team that doesn't have a chance at making the playoffs? In what world does it? Do you run yourself any any positive outcomes? You're not mitigating any risk by saying, you know what, three games, we'll just get him tuned up at the end of the year. He goes out there, he has another shoulder injury, he re-injures that ankle. God forbid he goes out there and tears his ACL or breaks a bone or something. And then we're talking about Christian McCaffrey not being ready for next season, which, after year one of Matt Rule, we feel like year two, year three, it's only going to get a little bit better and better. 
So I'm going to go ahead and do breaking news right here on the Sam Avila show at the stop at the top of the show here. Christian McCaffrey done for the season. Christian McCaffrey done for the season, and that's the way it should be. I'm not saying he couldn't help this team. I'm not saying that this team needs to throw in the towel. They're going to play very competitively with anybody, any given week. If you can do it against the Chiefs, you can do it against anybody. If the Bucks can only put up three points against the Saints, then the Panthers have a shot at them. But you don't need to do it without, with Christian McCaffrey. You just don't need to do it. There's no sense in risking this guy. So that's the big news uh, breaking here today. Ian Rappaport said that his status is in doubt on Sunday. I am telling you, Christian McCaffrey's season is over. It's over. It needs to be over. It should be over. Let's just protect the guy. Wrap him up in bubble wrap. You know, several times over. Like that old movie, Bubble Boy. Let's go ahead and just put him in a bubble. Bubble wrap inside of a bubble. And let's have him roll around like in a little hamster ball until the beginning of next football season. We'll keep him safe from the Rona. We'll keep him safe from any future injuries. The season's a wash. Not, not from the sense of it's not worth watching the Panthers anymore. It is because there's a lot of other players who need to develop. But we know what Christian McCaffrey is. He's a known commodity. He's a known commodity. So at this point in the season, 3-6, and six, lost four in a row, three weeks away from the bye week. Don't rush this kid back. For what? To, to bring him back and be like, oh, you know, Christian McCaffrey, now he ended with 400 yards on the season. Big whoop. We don't care about the stats. We don't care. His legacy is fine. It's protected. He's still going to be widely respected as the best, if not just one of the best, running backs in all of football next year. He's going to be on the short list. He's going to be the number one pick in a lot of fantasy football leagues again. Alvin Kamara might be coming for that mantle next season, but you get my you get the gist here. Carolina Panthers, let's shut down C-Mac. Fans aren't going to like to see it. We're going to want to see him. He's been remarkable whenever he has played this year. Three games, rushed for 225 yards, five touchdowns, 149 receiving yards, and another touchdown. Dude's got six touchdowns in three games. He's really good at football. We know this. But what other player in recent Panthers history, if you can rack your memory for a second, kind of had his career derailed by a shoulder injury? Do you remember who that was? That was one Cameron Newton. Yes, Cam Newton. Uh, still dealing with lingering shoulder problems. Had two different shoulder surgeries. And they're describing this not only just a shoulder injury. Ian Rappaport went so far as to specify that it is a painful shoulder injury. A painful shoulder injury. Now, I'm not going to sit up here and be Mr. Macho Man Tough Guy. But, like, I think I have a pretty decent pain tolerance. You know, I've I've broken bones. I've got cuts all over my hands from, you know, just doing stuff in the yard or whatever it is. Whatever happens. I'm not one of these people who, you know, I've got a couple bruises on my body from God knows what. The pain thing doesn't really get to me. But that's my pain threshold. What do you imagine Christian McCaffrey's pain threshold is? This is a guy who lives for head-to-head contact. Running between the tackles. How often have you seen an NFL player's injury specifically designated as painful? If Christian McCaffrey is in pain, a lesser man like myself would crumble in the face of that pain. You would be having to sit here and wipe the tears from my eyes as I was doing this radio show if I had a painful shoulder injury. So if he's in any kind of pain, I'm going to just go ahead and say, shut it down. Let's go ahead and drop him back on the IR. 
Utilize that roster spot for somebody else. We'll give Mike Davis some continued work. See if he's going to be worth resigning in the offseason. Talked about it last week. Talked about it on Monday. He has certainly regressed since taking over for Christian McCaffrey in Week 3. Really came in in Week 2, had 8 carries for 74 yards. But the rushing totals for Mike Davis went from 84 to 89, then 52, then 12, then 66. Only had one carry this past week. He can still catch the ball coming out of the backfield. Uh, the reception numbers have been not remarkable, but he's a useful option for Teddy Bridgewater. The Panthers have proven that they can win with Mike Davis back there if you're, if you're so concerned about the record for the Panthers this year. But what we're really concerned about and what this whole year has been about is what's it look like in the future? Well, the future looks bright under Matt Rule. The future looks fairly bright under Teddy Bridgewater. future looks bright under Joe Brady. But that light's going to dim a little bit. That brightness is going to dim a little bit. If you're telling me that Christian McCaffrey's going to have to undergo some drastic shoulder surgery, or we rush him back and the injury gets worse, or you rush him back and another injury happens. It always happens when running backs get paid. It's like clockwork, but it's a bad luck thing, too. I mean, Matt Stafford, I think, started like something like 160 straight games and never had an injury after being often injured at Georgia. Came into the NFL, played forever, was never injured. And then goes like two or three seasons where he's constantly injured and everybody's like, oh, he's injury prone. No, sometimes it's just bad luck. And we're hoping that's what it is for Christian McCaffrey, who was so durable during his first three years in the NFL. But as Rappaport reports that the status for Christian McCaffrey in Sunday's game versus the Bucks is in doubt, I'm here to tell you it's done. It's done. I think the Panthers will be foolish to rush this guy back. We'll get to some more Christian McCaffrey, Carolina Panthers talk coming up a little bit later on today's show. Welcome into the Sam Avila Show. Happy Wednesday to you. I got a lot of energy today. I'm feeling good. We got a fun show coming up. The Masters get underway tomorrow, 7 a.m. tea time. 7 a.m. They're sending everybody off early as hell Tomorrow morning for the Masters, I would be miserable if you told me that I had to be a part of the 7 o'clock tea time. Uh, actually, you know what? I would sacrifice that to play at Augusta, but you get my gist. Like, I'd be playing at 7 o'clock, and I'd be looking at the guys teeing off at 11, and I'd just be like, oh, you son of a... <laughs> but the Masters gets underway tomorrow. We have Kyle Gaskins join me on today's show. He's either going to stop by in the very next segment or he's going to be here uh, sometime during the 5 o'clock hour. Still sort of waiting to uh, figure out the time, sort of taking this on the fly. But we're going to have some fun with Kyle. He's a big golf guy. I'm going to let him talk about his beloved Tua a little bit. But we're mostly going to focus on the golf today, get you guys set for the week. Kyle's as knowledgeable as it comes when you're talking about guys uh, who can tell you what's going to happen this weekend in golf. I, I promise you, you can turn on SportsCenter, you can listen to First Take, you can listen to, oh gosh, what's that? who's that guy that, Michael something, the caddy guy that's on ESPN and does SportsCenter and stuff. You can listen to all those guys, they know what they're talking about. I'll put Kyle Gaskins' golf knowledge over all of them. This guy loves the PGA Tour, loves the Masters, absolutely lives for it, gets up for it. We're going to have Kyle Gaskins on today. Very excited to talk some golf with him. Speaking of which, last night they had, and we're going to do something today. I'm going to ask Kyle about this. Von Casey, by the way, going to be hanging out with me a little bit over the next couple of days. Uh, He'll be here today for a while. He'll be here tomorrow. He'll be here for a little bit on Friday. But yesterday, I was listening to Mike Greenberg in the afternoon, and he did something that I just want to kind of rip off. 
and it's not a total ripoff because he's obviously ripped it off. But I did not realize that last night was the Champions Dinner. If you're not familiar with the Champions Dinner that they do at the Masters every year, it is exactly that. It is everybody who has won the Masters Championship is invited to a dinner the Tuesday before the tournament gets underway. It's the Masters Champions Dinner. And the cool part about the Masters Champions Dinner, what makes it unique, is that the previous champion, the prior year's champion, is in charge of selecting the menu. So what we're going to do today is I'm going to give you a menu. Uh, If you guys want to send in what you would do for your Masters menu, you can tweet it to me. At Sam Atlas, we'll read them as the week goes on. Uh, You can email it to me, sam at 252radio.com. What would you choose for your Masters Champions Dinner? I'm going to read to you what they had at the Masters Champions Dinner last night in honor of Mr. Tiger Woods, who won it a year ago. So it looks like they do like an appetizer, a main dish, and a dessert. So the appetizer last night, Tiger opted for the sushi. They called it the Augusta Roll. Tempura shrimp, spicy tuna, avocado, eel sauce, tempura flakes, ginger, wasabi, soy sauce on the side, obviously. I'm going to grade that sushi roll at like a B. And the reason is, is because I am not a fried anything in my sushi kind of guy. I'm a sushi purist. I'm a sushi purist. Uh, It can go anything from like the nigiri where it's just the rice bed and like a slap of raw fish over top. I'll take a roll. But if you're dropping some tempura shrimp in there, then I might as well just go get some fried shrimp somewhere else. But Tiger went with a sushi roll off the top. Uh, The dinner, he got kind of boring. Prime steak, so I guess just prime rib. And chicken fajitas. Strange pairing. Not your traditional surf and turf. Surf and fajitas. Or turf and fajitas. Um... Oh, wait, actually, I think it's just fajitas. So we just went fajitas. You could have steak or chicken fajitas. Kind of a whack, kind of a whack menu there. Grilled vegetables, refried beans, Mexican rice, pico de gallo, sour cream, guac, and flour tortillas. You got to go corn tortillas there, Tiger. What are you doing? You're at Augusta, for God's sakes. Then for dessert, he went with the, quote, dessert trio. Classic flan. I've never actually had flan. Churros. I do love churros. With chocolate sauce and sopapillas. I'm not really sure what that is. Then he had all sorts of different wine options. One of them was a 2015 Schaefer. uh, A red and a white. I guess they both came from the same brand. I went and looked the bottle up. The bottle of wine that was being offered up at the Masters Champions Dinner uh, will cost you a cool $287 per bottle. $287 per bottle for the Schaefer Red Shoulder Ranch Chardonnay that they were drinking last night. So that was Tiger Woods' championship dinner that he selected. The Augusta Roll, just some sushi, some fajitas, and some chocolate flan with churros. I'd opted for something a little bit better than the fajitas, um, but but perhaps not. So I was trying to think, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change my mind a lot today. But I think the first thing you have to do if you're winning the Masters and you're, you're selecting the dinner for the Champions Dinner, you got to go back to your roots a little bit. You want to give folks a taste of where you come from. So for me, off the top, the the appetizer I would go with is I'm bringing in like, I don't know how many people get invited to this thing. I'm bringing in like 20 bushels of oysters. 20 bushels of oysters plucked right out of the Pamlico Sound. Best oysters you can find. We're just steaming them up. You can have them raw, half shell. Even if you want to get a little lame with it and you want to do like the Oscar style or the... Um, uh, what is the other one that everybody likes to do? The Oysters Rockefeller, where they put all the Parmesan cheese and spinach and stuff. I don't like it that way. I'll take a raw oyster over a steamed oyster. I'll take the steam next. 
But we're just going to go oysters. Oysters right off the top, a little taste of ENC. And then I was back and forth with what I wanted to do with the next dish, like the main dish. And I think, because because if I was doing the champion's dinner, I would want to show off Eastern North Carolina. I'm going to go barbecue. I'm going to go pulled pork barbecue, the vinegar sauce. And I think, I was trying to narrow down where I'd want to get it from. And I hope nobody's offended because I'm going to I'm gonna bury a couple of local establishments. Well, not so much local. I would have gone old school Moore's barbecue. Like if people are familiar with old school Moore's back when Tommy Moore was still running it, uh, right here in New Bern, that barbecue was top notch. That's what I grew up on. I don't want any Smithfields. I like Smithfields barbecue. Don't get me wrong, but if I'm trying to show off, like yo, here's some bomb barbecue from Eastern North Carolina, I'm not going Smithfields. I'm not going New Moore's because New Moore's is kind of just Smithfields again. I think I've got it narrowed down to either Bee's Barbecue or Skylight Inn up in the Greenville area, though. Um, and I'm probably going to lean Skylight Inn, but Bee's is real close. Bee's is really, really close. So I think I'm going to go with, uh, gosh, it's a tie. I might just get both. I'm the Masters champion. I can do that. Uh, but I'm going to go with some barbecue, one of those great places up in the Greenville area. I will go with probably just some collards and some cornbread. And I don't even want like the cakey, like like Jif, Jiffy cornbread, whatever you can buy in like the blue box. My grandmother used to make the kind of cornbread, and I don't know, I don't know if you call it something different. I always just called it cornbread. But my grandma's one of those like old school Southern grandmas, and I always remember. I mean, she's still around, God bless her. But she, she was always, if we had Thanksgiving or whatever it was, any family gathering, you could always find my grandma hanging outside with just a little cooker and a little frying pan. And she was doing out there, she was doing like the little um, like cornbread jacks, like the little fried, kind of harder cornbread. So good. So that would be my menu. And then for dessert, <laughs> see, I either want, I think my favorite dessert of all time is just apple pie with ice cream, uh, apple pie and vanilla ice cream. So I'd probably go that. But there's a part of me that would want to screw with people and do the uh, the Oreo mud pie. Do you remember that when you were a kid? Did you ever make that as a child? Or I think we made it in school a couple of times where it's essentially chocolate pudding. I think it's chocolate pudding and like crushed up Oreos. And then you put gummy worms in the, in the food. And it looks like somebody just went and took a shovel in your backyard and scooped up a pile of dirt and it had earthworms all in it. So just to screw with everybody at the end, I think I would go with the, the Oreo mud pie with the gummy worms in it. So that would be my master's dinner. Pamlico Sound Oysters, uh, Skylight Inn Barbecue with collards or green beans, and then some of the uh, the fried cornbread. And then for dessert, I'm going Oreo mud pie. So, <laughs> so if you would like to submit yours, I would be more than happy to read them on air over the next couple of days. We can carry this through Friday because I do love talking about food. Anytime. Look at me. I love talking about food. Uh, but we're going to talk to Kyle about that. We're going to talk to Vaughn about that a little bit today. If you'd like to send yours in, you can message uh, You can message us on Facebook, 252ESPNRadio. You can uh, find me on Twitter, at Sam Avalis on Twitter. You can also just email me directly, Sam at 252radio.com, Sam at 252ESPN.com. Uh, I think my contact info is on our website. Like, if you guys want to reach out to me, I'm cool with that. But, anyways, that being said, we got a fun show coming up. We're going to talk some Panthers. We might get to some NBA talk today. I've got some movie conversations I want to have with Vaughn. Vaughn's a real big movie buff guy. And something is happening in the world of movies that uh, is unsettling to me and I am not okay with. I want to get Vaughn's thoughts on that today. So, all that and more coming up this afternoon here on the Sam Avalos Show. Stick around.
Well, I was pumping them up last segment, and we were actually talking during the break. And I'm very happy to be welcoming now onto the Sam Avila Show. And he agreed with me. I told you guys last segment that I don't know if there's really anybody else out there that I would trust their golf coverage for more than this gentleman himself. Kyle Gaskins joining us here now on the Sam Avila Show. Kyle, I think we've, we've narrowed down the list. It's Scott Van Pelt. It's Andy North. It's Michael Collins at ESPN. And then it's Kyle Gaskins as far as – Kyle Gaskins, I'm willing to give you the title of fourth best golf coverage guy in America. And no better time to have you on than here coming into Masters Week. Welcome to the show, buddy. I uh, appreciate it. I'm waiting for the mail, waiting for my plaque to come in. So I am uh, appreciate you <laughs> sending me to that position, and uh, I'm just so excited for the Masters. <laughs> yeah, dude, it, it's going to be awesome. We're going to talk plenty of Masters. I want to get your thoughts first on really what I think is the biggest event every single week at the Masters, and that's the Champions Dinner, which was held last night in honor of Mr. Tiger Woods, last year's champions. I, I want to get your – what would your Champions Dinner be? Tiger Woods went with the Augusta Roll, which was a, a, a shrimp tempura and spicy tuna sushi roll. He went with steak and chicken fajitas for dinner. And then he had chocolate flan with churros for dessert. I threw out there earlier today that my champion's dinner, if I ever had that honor, which I can't even break a, break a hundred half the time, so probably never going to happen, I would go with steamed oysters straight out of the Pamlico Sound. I would go with Skylight Inn barbecue, collards, and my grandmother's fried cornbread. And then for dessert, I would go with the classic Oreo mud pie that has the gummy worms in it, just because I want to screw with everybody at the end. Where, where would you go? Where would Kyle Gaskins go with his champion's dinner if you were to ever win the Masters? And you're a good golfer, so it might happen one day. I don't know if I'll ever win the Masters. I might win a uh, Masters tournament at a local country club if I'm getting about 15 shots. I don't know if I'll ever be able to win at Augusta, but uh, if I had to think of Champions Dinner on the spot, I'm going to go with you and go with oysters as an appetizer. I think that's a you know homage to home. For the main entree, I'm going to stick with seafood, and I'm going to go pimento cheese, shrimp, and grits. Oh my gosh! You just you said okay. I see your shrimp and grits, and I'm going to raise you with the pimento cheese. Are you okay now? Are you going to go for, with some pimento cheese from around here? Maybe your mother or one of your grandmothers cooked some pimento cheese for you in years past, or are you going to just say, "Hey, look, Augusta, you got the best pimento cheese in the game." Y'all just throw a little bit of your flair into the shrimp and grits. As much as I would love to get my grandmother's old uh, pimento cheese recipe, I don't think it would do it justice without her making it. <laughs> right. So right. I'm going to trust the professionals at Augusta with their pimento cheese. Throw a little uh, kielbasa, some peppers and onions in it as well. Have a phenomenal pimento cheese. And then as a dessert, you either have two choices. You either have your standard American apple pie and ice cream. Correct. Yep. Or banana pudding. Banana pudding. Yeah. yeah. I think I think the banana pudding would fit right into the vibe, the ENC vibe. I like where you went, you know, sort of the homage, as you said, to Eastern North Carolina. That's a bit of what I was trying to go with, too. Um, now, that Augusta Roll Tiger served last night looked appetizing. I will give him that. that I haven't seen the picture. I, see, I'm not, a, I'm not a fried seafood in my sushi kind of guy. I'm raw fish or bust. Oh, you know, I, I love a little tempura here and there. You know, not, not the whole roll, not – all you eat tempura, but 
Mix a little bit. I, my favorite is those Empora green beans they have at those uh, sushi restaurants. Those are the best. Mm, yeah, I do like that. We'll stick around because later in the show, uh, Von Casey is going to be back in studio with me. We're going to break down some of the wackier Masters Champion menus from years past. We're going to have some fun with that. But we got Kyle here uh, to talk about some golf. I want to get to maybe some of the pairings that you're excited about, uh, what you think about just Masters in November as a whole. But let's go back for a second, if you will, to yesterday in one of the practice rounds where John Rahm, who, Kyle, I'll give you a lot of credit. I remember like three years ago when Mark and I were still doing the show together and we had you on and you were talking some golf and it was like names to watch for and you were all over John Rahm. And this kid over the last two seasons has just ascended to one of the top stars of the game. But if anybody missed the highlights yesterday, in his practice round, John Rahm hit a hole-in-one at part three, number four. That's impressive. But then later in the day, on par three sixteen, he skipped the golf ball across the pond. I mean, this thing was like he was skipping a stone across the pond. When this happens to me, it's a bad thing. Somehow this thing rolled up onto the green in for his second ace of the round. First hole-in-one certainly impressive. But, Kyle, are we actually impressed that John Rahm skipped the ball across the pond? Oh, absolutely. I'm, I understand it was luck. I understand he, like, you know, you have what you say, you know, you're going to try and play the slope of the green and skip it up there. And it's a, it's a tradition that the players do during the practice round to skip a ball through the 16th, the pond on the 16th hole. And Jordan Spieth and Gary Woodland did it as well. Almost got decently close to a hole in one, a little too much steam and it went off the back of the green. But no, I'm very impressed with, um, being able to skip a golf ball across a pond, I can't do that. I'm just trying to hit a high draw. That's the only thing I'm trying to even kind of hit. So the notion of being able to skip a ball across a pond is just completely foreign to me. But talking about John Rahm, and I'm really high on him for this weekend, but the one thing I will say is maybe a little cautionary tale to picking John Rahm would be since there's no par three championship this year and whoever wins the par three contest has never won the masters since there is none this year wouldn't you say john rom has dominated and the par threes in the practice round oh, wow. and has really dominated the pre-masters buzz the viral video of him skipping across you know you kind of if there is no par three contest i guess john rom would be the kind of the viral guy going in there does that bode well for him? A little superstitious there. Does that? I don't know. That's that's interesting. So it's like if you extrapolate out the results from the practice round and you say, look, this guy this guy aced two of the par threes, then then no, that makes sense to me. But, dude, I got to go back to the skip shot because, granted, I didn't watch any like analysis. I just saw the highlight on Twitter. And I didn't even watch it with sound. And everybody was marveling over this skip shot. When I saw it, I thought to myself, that's a bad shot. That was an accident because I have had balls skip over ponds before and I've played golf. And the reason is, is because I've completely bladed an iron, you know, off the deck and it was a terrible shot. And I just got lucky that the velocity was enough to carry it and skip it across a pond. You're telling me that this is something that they actually do on the 16th hole and John Rahm intended to do this. Is there any likelihood? Like, why does everybody practice this? Is there any likelihood that someone will actually bust that out and around? No, 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 because where John Rom hit his shot, it was right on the bank of the uh, pond. It wasn't where the tee box was. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so, I mean, you can do it from there. It would be a lot more difficult, which you're already having a very difficult shot to make. 
But uh, normally they do that during the practice rounds just to give the crowd something to cheer about because, you know, when you're there watching a practice round, I don't, and for anyone that's never gone to a practice round, I have not. I've watched a lot of practice rounds, though, never actually been to one. They, you know, they don't play just their ball. You know, they'll hit their drive and then they'll walk over to the woods and say, okay, well, if I'm ever in this situation, this is what I'll hit. They play like where, where they're more likely to miss. So it's not necessarily, you know, you're seeing guys pin seek. You're seeing guys really just kind of get some work in and practice. So when you do have a uh, practice round, you do have fans in attendance. Unfortunately, there wasn't any patrons yesterday at Augusta or all this week, but put on a little bit of a show. And that's kind of a tradition they've done where they can skip it across the pond and get it close and whatnot. And I mean, if I was there and I saw that live, I would absolutely just lose it. I don't think I could ever you know, <laughs> see a better golf shot unless you maybe make a hole in one on a par four, just in terms of just absurdness. Right. But uh, yeah, no, they, they, they practice it as kind of a just little, little fun and games in the middle of their practice round. That's interesting. I've never really watched any practice rounds because, I mean, I'm, not, I'm just not as avid of a golf fan as you. So it sounds like the practice round um, for some of these tournaments is more like when you go out and play golf and you're stuck behind the annoying guy who's playing like three or four balls by himself on every single hole. What, what are your opinions? What are your thoughts on the guy who plays three or four different balls on every single hole? Because golf as itself, like for the amateur golfers, for the casual golfers, it is a game that is full of liars and cheats and dishonest people. I mean, everything from breakfast balls to gimmies and mulligans. It's a it's a con artist kind of a game. Anybody who tells you that they shot whatever it was, hey, I shot an 87 this weekend. Go ahead and tack about six or seven strokes onto that thing. But, I mean, golf, dude, such a dishonest game. But these guys are out here doing the most annoying thing on a golf course where they're playing multiple balls per hole. And it's just standard practice rounds. That's what you're <laughs> able to do. And, you know, the only time I really think it's acceptable on a, on a public golf course to do it is if you're playing after a, a tournament or a shootout and there's, you know, eight groups of four in front of you and there's no way you're going to get through and you're a, you know, maybe a one or a twosome behind them. Yeah, there's nowhere to go. you got nowhere to go. We've got time. Drop a couple balls and have some fun, you know. Play a, <laughs> right. couple, play a couple, see how you do. You know, just have, have a good time. Hack it around out there. Get your money's worth. You're going to be out there a while. Get your money's worth. But if there are people waiting on you and you are playing two to three balls, uh, in the politest way possible, please stop. <laughs> yeah, in the politest way possible. Get the hell out of my way. <laughs> yes, absolutely. If you're holding people up, and any, if any reason you're holding people up, get out of the way. But if you're holding people up because you're playing eight balls and you're shooting 114, you know, tennis is a great sport too. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, I like tennis. Um, I'm curious, what is the most egregious form of cheating that Kyle Gaskins has ever participated in on a golf course? Because I know for me, the thing that I have fallen in love with, especially during the pandemic, is um, for the most part, the courses I've played on is one man per cart. And I have become a really big fan of if I just slice one into the woods, I, I go over there and I can't find it. I don't want to take the, the OB shot. I don't want to take the penalty for the lost ball. I'll drive around for a couple minutes, act like I'm looking for it, and then just sort of turn the cart so nobody else can see me, drop the ball out of my pocket and say, oh, look, guys, I found it. I don't know if I've taken an out-of-bounds penalty stroke, um, it's honestly, since the time I started driving a cart by myself. <laughs> Uh, probably the most egregious thing I've ever done is I've played with my friends and I might hit a ball in the water or hit one out of bounds and just, you know, re-tee and play it as a drop. 
and you know i might make a four on the hole that might make par with my second ball and my buddies will be like hey good par and i don't correct them which is actually it's a double <laughs> bogey or, or a triple bogey depending on if it was ob or in the water so i've done that before when i'm just playing my friends excuse me not for money or anything but just of course not but just you know out there having fun i'll be like ah yeah, four. All right, cool. Right, that's the that's the classic. Uh, I'm not lying. I'm just not really telling the whole truth, right? Like just the casual white lie. You didn't say anything. They said it, and you just you didn't you're correct keeping them. score. You said four. You're the official score today. Who am I to correct? <laughs> nice. I love it. Kyle Gaskins joining me here on the Sam Avil Show, talking a little Masters this weekend. So let's get to that, Kyle. Let's start first with the course itself. Now, everybody knows how luscious and beautiful and amazing Augusta is during the springtime. Here we are in the middle of November. The weather looks like it's going to be a little rough, at least for the first two days in Augusta. But the the term I always hear when I play golf personally is this time of year is, you know, winter rules, winter lies. Courses always look a little bit different. Courses are always a little bit more chopped up this time of year just because of the weather. What are your expectations for the course at Augusta this weekend? Have you heard anything about how they're expecting this course to maybe play a little differently than we usually see when it's in the middle of April? I expect it to play a lot longer. And I've kind of said it, you know, when you've had me on before talking about it briefly, you know, I think, you know, just standard science, it, it, now it will help this week with it being warmer than normal in november but it's going to be in the 70s in augusta but whenever you play in the cold the ball doesn't go as far and in augusta right now due to the hurricane off the coast of florida it is raining a lot and is going to make the ground a lot softer and it's going to be a lot more receptive which means you're not going to have as much roll and one of the most the, one of the most things that no one thinks about with augusta is it's got a lot of hills in it so you're still going to get a good amount of roll but it's near, not nearly going to be what it would be on a summer's day in the summertime or in the spring in Augusta. So I'm anxious to see how it really does play lengthwise because we can talk about the Bryson DeChambeau's of the world that are just going to try to overpower the course, but for the rest of the golfers in the field, how to adjust with having to hit, you know, mid irons into these greens that are just so diabolical and have such a, are so fast. It's going to be very interesting if they're going to be able to compete with the long ball hitters and if the weather and the weather, the weather playing a factor, if it's going to really kind of eliminate a percentage of the field before you even tee off. So that's what I'm really looking forward to. I, you know, I'm not blessed enough to be able to play Augusta national in my life, let alone in November. So I don't know exactly the nuances of the course in November, but I think it will be a little bit different than what we're used to in the spring, but at the end of the day, I'm just happy to get some cameras on Augusta National and watch some golf being played at uh, at Augusta. Yeah, just to hear the sound of Jim Nance's voice is going to uh, make it all better for all of us. You mentioned you're never going to get the chance to play in Augusta, and you might one day, but for most of us, that's kind of a long shot. If you had to sort of create in your mind a pantheon of sports things you would love to do or Kyle I'll be honest just anything under the sun that you would want to do on your bucket list is there much that's ahead of Augusta is there anything that's ahead of Augusta oh off the top of my head probably not I mean I was trying um, to think about that this morning man but like getting ready for this interview and I was like 
if you told me I could go play Augusta, I mean, I man, I would take that over. Even if I didn't go, to, I could go play by myself. I would take that over being like on the field for the Super Bowl. Yes, I would too. I uh, absolutely because I mean, it's just so prestigious, so inclusive, like so exclusive. Excuse me. That you know, you're just let alone to get cameras out there and to even be in the presence of the course, let alone playing it. I mean. Uh, if you ever get that one opportunity, uh, you've got to take advantage of it. If I ever take that opportunity, I'm dropping pretty much whatever I'm doing, yeah. <laughs> and I'm heading to Georgia. I mean, it's a uh, to to be able to have maybe a pimento cheese sandwich after playing the ninth Carolina Cherry, have a pimento cheese, go to the tenth, and get ready for the back nine aiming corner. I mean. I, I can't think of a, a better day right there. Yeah, yeah, it would be great. And I always think, you know, I would love to play it. And I think the second I would, if I ever got the opportunity, which, you know, I'm so far from ever even being close to, even be able to just walk through the grounds to be a spectator there, let alone going to play. The first thing I would do is I would start auctioning off, like, membership to be in my foursome. But then I always worry that if I ever got the opportunity to play at Augusta, they'd probably have me kicked out of there by the time I got through the turn. Like, I'm out here, I'm, like, going, let's do a beer for hole. You know, I'm placing bets all over the place. We're doing longest drive, closest to the pin competitions. None of that would stand at Augusta. (laughs) Can you imagine playing Augusta? And this is what I've always, you know, I've laughed about something I would do there is, you know, you get to the 12th hole, the iconic par three with a raised creek right in front of it. You hit the ball. I mean, it's a standard, you know, it's about a 150 shot from the Masters tees. You know, you hit it on the green there. That's not an outrageous shot for really any amateur to hit. Now, of course, the precision to land it before on the green without it going over the back or running down the front to the creek if you're able to hit the green on that hole, personally for me, I'd be hard pressed not to go on Instagram live and say, Jordan Spieth, I don't know what's so hard about this, man. Like this is this is simple, man. I'm a I'm a freaking eight handicap and I did this. I don't know what the heck's problem with you. Right. Not once, not twice. Like, come on, Jordan, what are you doing over here? I hit the green, I got a birdie putt. I don't know what the heck. Amen corner. This is great. This, I don't know what the heck's the, what the big deal is. Yeah. Taking shots at Jordan Spieth. I absolutely love it. Uh, Well, Spieth, I'm not sure where he's going to be teeing off this weekend, but let's get to some of these pairings coming up this weekend, uh, or at least for the first two days. Kind of interesting. You know, everybody's going to be teeing off really early this year. Daylight Savings is going to play a huge factor in this tournament, or at least how they're trying to make sure that they can cram everybody onto the course, make sure everybody can get their rounds in. They're going to have everybody going off the first tee or the 10th tee starting at 7 a.m. tomorrow morning. We're looking at what's going to be a really packed golf course out there this weekend, Kyle. Absolutely. And the way they're doing is they're sending half the field out. First tee, second tee, or first tee, tenth tee at seven o'clock, and I think the second wave doesn't start until like eleven, eleven thirty, and uh, then the afternoon wave will come through with some guys. But I think it's going to be really good, and there's some pairings in there that I'm really looking forward to. Uh, the back to back, or honestly, three, there's three back to back to back starting at eleven thirty eight. Adam Scott, Colin Morikawa, and Terrell Hatton goes off. Then Justin Thomas, Matthew Fitzpatrick, and Brooks Kepka, And then they are followed by Dustin Johnson, Patrick Cantley, and Rory McIlroy. So, and Rory, you know, every time you get to Augusta, you're on Rory watch because he's going for the career Grand Slam. He's only not won the Masters, and we can go back to some of his 
failures in Augusta when he had to hit a golf ball from, I think, a person's house two blocks away from the hole <laughs> when he went very errant on a tee shot. But I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing the star power. And I don't know if it's just I psych myself to this every single Masters, but I just feel like this could be the time Rory McIlroy finally asserts himself back at the top because he's kind of – Falling off a wee bit from where he was a couple of years ago with some of the new guys emerging, but I think if Roy McIlroy can hit the ball relatively how Roy McIlroy should hit it and kind of eliminate some of his mistakes around the green, you're looking at what could possibly be an historic weekend. Yeah, you mentioned a couple of those pairings uh, that are going to be going off the front tee, that first tee, and you're right about Rory, and, and I sort of want to parlay that same thought. Rory, a guy who... Four or five years ago, we were talking about running the sport for quite a long time. I'm looking at some of these parents going off of number 10 starting tomorrow, and I think the one that caught my eye is a guy we've already talked about, John Rahm and Bryson DeChambeau. They're going to be paired with uh, Louis Wustazen, who is a Masters champion himself. But Patrick Reed going to be going off after them. Then Tiger Woods is going to be in a grouping with Shane Lowry and Alec Ogletree, or excuse me, Andy Ogletree. But then at 8.06, Gary Woodland, Ian Poulter, and Jordan Spieth. Jordan Spieth, what has gone on with him over the last couple of years? Because he had that run where he burst onto the scene, and since then, I look up there, come Saturday, come Sunday, and Jordan Spieth either A, didn't make the cut, or he's way down on the leaderboard. When Are you feeling maybe any of what you're feeling about Rory McIlroy as it relates to Jordan Spieth? Like maybe this is the time where he reasserts himself back at the top? Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no. He was supposed to be the savior for the American-style golf. Oh, Jordan, Jordan, Jordan. It's it's, honestly, it's getting to the point now. You know how, and I'm going to, I don't want to parlay, it's not 100% like it, but think about Clayton Kershaw when he gets into the playoffs, how he's so dominant and then he fails in the playoffs, and then when he fails and fails and fails, it's almost like people started to change their perspective on Kershaw and wanted him to succeed. I think that's kind of what we're doing with Jordan Spieth now because if you watch some of the other tournaments, Spieth will go on a run where he will make four or five straight birdies on the front nine, be five under and in first place on like a Thursday, and then you'll check it Thursday afternoon and he finished at plus two. I mean, he just – it is to say it's in his head would be an understatement. It is so in his head, it's unbelievable. And we always joke about with Jordan how he's very – Every time he hits a bad shot, oh, Jordan, he's very <laughs> animated out there. But, I mean, it is to the point now where, you know, he, he's stringing together doubles and bogey-bogey double in a round and just stuff you would never even think you would see out of Jordan Spieth. And he's just very lost over, I mean, everything. He's not putting nearly as well as he did back in the day a couple years ago. And everybody knew he wouldn't putt the way he was putting then because he was putting like a man possessed. But – you just see him not being able to hit drives in the fairway and not just missing a little bit off into the rough. I mean, missing over trees. Just It's going to take a weekend for him to get it all together. I don't think he'll be at Augusta, but I'm hoping in time we will begin to see the Jordan Spieth of old because he was absolutely electric. And I miss I miss the Jordan Spieth of old, but it's just right now it's still so far in his head and he's just not consistent enough and he just can't, he just can't put rounds together and – not even win, but like make cuts, man. It's just not. It's 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 crazy to think that Jordan Spieth is just lost out there. 
I remember seeing graphics back when he was still winning of you know how he was already on pace to pass Tiger and Jack and how quickly uh, we quit doing those graphics. Speaking of Tiger, uh, let's talk about probably two of the fan favorites, or at least for folks who grew up with uh, you know the same era as you and I. Tiger Woods, he's been struggling a little bit this year, but some of that is you know maybe he's just been preparing and getting focused for the Masters. Tiger Woods, uh, what are your thoughts on him going into the weekend? And Phil Mickelson, I think, is who I'm most curious to watch because I love Phil, and Phil, as he's gotten a little older, I think is leaning more into the celebrity. He has so much fun on Twitter. He's been doing these celebrity golf tournaments. I've got the one with Steph Curry scheduled uh, in a couple of weeks. I found out a couple of weeks ago that Phil Mickelson's now playing on the Champions Tour, like the Senior Tour. Does Phil Mickelson have a shot to make a run this weekend? Does Tiger have a shot to make a run this weekend? I don't think either is going to make a run. I think if one of the two was going to, it would be Tiger. And you mentioned Phil playing on the Champions Tour. Phil's in this very weird point in his career where he's eligible to play on the Champions Tour. He doesn't really have much of a shot at winning PGA events just due to the length and due to the amount of players in the field now. But when Phil Mickelson plays a Champions Tour event, it's it's not fair. He's just that much better in winning them by. I mean, it's just absurd. He's winning these. He's, he was. He's Sam. He's driven par fours at the, <laughs> on the Champions Tour. So he's in that weird point in his career where you can be the Bernard Langer and just dominate the Champions Tour and win every single event and it not be fair. Or you go down and play in the PGA Tour and you know probably not win many tournaments if at all. But, you know, you might get a little bit of a, some top 20s and make some paydays. But I think with Augusta, you know, you have the Augusta magic and anything can happen with those guys. And we saw it definitely in 2019 with Tiger regaining the green jacket. And what a great spectacle of sport that was for Tiger Woods to defy everything and win. But if, if I was going to pick a winner, it really wouldn't be Tiger or Phil. And they probably wouldn't be in my top, you know, 10 to 15 people that could win. I just not. It'll be. I don't. I don't. I'm not necessarily saying they're not going to make the cuts. They very well can make the cuts. I think Tiger will make the cut, but I just don't see either one of them pulling out a uh, miraculous victory. All right. Well, Kyle, you've been great with your time. Kyle Gaskins joining us here on the Sam Avalos Show. Before I let you go, got to get you to pick a winner. I want a. Uh, I want a winner. I want a beige horse and I want a dark horse. All right. So I want I want the dark horse and then I want the beige horse as well as your your surefire winner. The beige horse being like, well, you know, he's not coming out of nowhere, but maybe we're not really giving him enough attention. I know if you could uh if you could put a, a golf bag around his shoulders, you would probably have Tua winning this thing after your love for him as a Dolphins fan. Uh, but how about some some quick picks? I want the the winner, a beige horse and a dark horse heading into this Masters weekend. Now, my question would be, what would you consider a beige horse by odds? I'll what, say a what, beige horse would be like the Miami Heat making it to the NBA Finals. It's like nobody was really shocked, but at the same time, we were kind of shocked. Okay. So from uh, odds-wise, uh, gosh, I mean, I don't even know what they – I'm assuming DeChambeau's the favorite. Uh, what are yeah. his odds? Do you know off the top of your head? 8-1. He's 8-1. to 8-1. to one. Okay, so I'll say like 30-1. to one. So as my favorites, I guess I'll go with uh, Justin Thomas. I don't really think you could go wrong there with uh, JT. He's uh, very consistently in the top five of almost all events he plays in, has a shot to win. He has not won a Masters yet. So I think Justin Thomas is kind of my pick. Uh, with the favorite, Bryson DeChambeau, it's going to be very – I'm really 
excited to watch him play because apparently with his distance, he's going to outdrive all of the trouble in the fairways, and it will be how well he hits his wedges, which are the worst part of his game. So that's going to be the what to watch with the Shambo. But if I had to pick a guy, I'll pick JT as a beige horse. I don't want to say Xander Schauffele because he's 14-1, to 1 and I wouldn't consider him a beige horse. I consider him one of the favorites. But if I had to pick a beige horse, I'll take Webb Simpson at 33-1. to 1. Wow. Wally, He's played great this year. He was a top five in the FedEx Cup standings going into the Tour Championship. So I think Webb Simpson at 33-1 to 1 could be a nice beige horse. Tony Finau, Patrick Cantley at 25-1 to 1 also. As a long shot... At over a hundred to one odds, I would probably take Brennan Todd at one twenty-five to one. It's a Kerry native. I'm sticking with North Carolina. Nice. Kerry native had a great season this year. Played very well down the stretch. Made a lot of money for Mr. Todd. I would take Brennan Todd, and I don't think he's going to win at uh, one hundred to one odds. But a little fact for you: if he does contend. Kevin Kisner is from Aiken, South Carolina, which is just across the border from Augusta. So he's kind of a hometown guy. Unfortunately for Kiz, I don't think he's going to be able to hit it long enough to compete because he's not a long hitter and the course is going to, I think the course is going to play too long for him. But if he does contend for a victory, you can say, you know, he's from right around there, Aiken, South Carolina. So that actually makes sense. So I would take, uh, as my, my three, JT, um, Completely forgot my base horse. Uh, Webb Web Simpson. Webb Simpson. Goodness gracious. JT, Webb Simpson, and Brennan Todd are my three. Nice. I like it. I, uh, I don't know if I've ever told you. I had dinner with Webb Simpson at his dining room table in Charlotte. That is a, that is a real out? thing that has happened in my life. <laughs> yeah. The Wake Forest graduate. He got the Arnold Palmer Scholarship from Wake Forest. Big deal. Wow, that's that's a nice little I didn't know that one, Sam. Yeah, yeah. How about that? It was uh do you remember the name Cody Keith, old quarterback at ECU? Yes. Yeah, so I was dating a girl who was best friends with his girlfriend and Cody Keith's sister is married to Webb Simpson. They were at we went to Quail Hollow and uh they hosted us there for dinner the night before the tournament. It was kinda cool. Webb Simpson's not that nice of a guy. He just puts on an act for the interviews. <laughs> Oh, you went to Quail Hollow and got dinner. Oh, yeah, no, exactly. Brag. Right? Was, uh, brag right there, okay. Let me just go ahead and tell you, I did not fit in. <laughs> <laughs> I did not fit in at all. Uh, Kyle, I think I'm going to go with, just because he hits the long ball, I'm going to go with Brooks Kepka for the weekend. I'm just going to make one play. I'm going to throw my money into uh, Blake of the Year, Brooks Kepka. <laughs> <laughs> Blake of the Year, I love it. Blake Kepka, as he's effectively known. That's right, Blake Kepka. Kyle Gaskins, you have been great, sir. Uh, I wanted to ask you about Tua, but I'm still not buying it. So give me one more week to take in as much Tua as I can, and we'll bring you back over the next couple of weeks to see if you've actually got a quarterback down there in Miami. That's fine. Take all the time you need. I'm still uh, crafting the Hall of Fame bus, so take all the time you need. <laughs> Love it. Kyle Gaskins, the biggest Masters expert that you can find this side of the Mississippi. Kyle Gaskins, thanks so much, sir, for joining us. Appreciate having me on. So, again, a big thank you to Kyle Gaskins, K Gaskins22 on Twitter, getting us set for the Masters weekend, which will get underway tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. Oh, early. Everybody's going to be off the course by the time we go live tomorrow afternoon. Von Casey joins me in studio next, right here on the Sam Avila Show. All right, welcome back to the Sam Avila Show. Von Casey hanging out with me for the rest of the day. Von's going to be here. 
a little off and on over the next two, three days. Through Friday, Vamos Hup. What's up, man? How you doing? I am good. Um, Masters week. Does that mean anything to you? No. Not a damn thing. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't want to make the assumption. Look here. (laughs) I didn't really want to, uh, I didn't want to do the thing where it's like, hmm, I wonder who Vaughn's favorite golfer is. Yeah. Is it Tiger Woods? (laughs) If I had to choose, it even wouldn't be Tiger Woods. Like, even when, even, like, remember, I grew up when Tiger was, like, killing it. Yeah. And I still did not care (laughs) at all. I didn't care. It's great. Even so, a little. did you ever buy into the whole? Um, because it's interesting. And Vaughn, I, I I try to like do my best to explain to people what Vaughn's like because I think I know things sometimes. Vaughn's like legit smart. Vaughn is like oh. smart and like looks at the world through like a different lens. Uh, sometimes I make fun of him for being a little too woke, but sometimes it's like, oh, I didn't think about it that way. Vaughn is like legitimately smart. And we here at the Sam Avila show, we pride ourselves on being the most diverse show in Eastern North Carolina. Uh, so as a black kid growing up, did you like think? Did you feel any sort of like gravitation towards the game of golf because of Tiger, or were you just no. like, like, dude, I just don't care about golf like at watching, all? <laughs> I was watching AI, so he didn't care about yeah. practice. <laughs> like, I, there was a period of time. I have an uncle who likes to golf a lot, uh-huh. and um, there was a period of time where I like it's. I understand why people like to play it. Right, I get that part. Yeah, it is relaxing. If you're not, oh, well, sucks. So it's not relaxing. <laughs> if you if you if you know you're bad, or if you know you're good, it's very relaxing. But if you're right. in that middle stage where like you're kind of good and you're actually trying to get better, right? No. But if you're just out there just hitting things and you're like, ah, what am I? I'm like ten over par? I don't care. I can't but, do this. Yeah. <laughs> but ten over par, man, I'll kill somebody to be ten over par. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the, but I was I was. 100% into AI. Yeah, that was, just so disinterested in the yeah, golf. Nothing that Tiger Woods did. <laughs> but they were like, he just won his fifth something or other. I was like, that's fantastic. Did you know that I'm trying to learn AI's like, cross-step? Right, right, exactly. <laughs> You're like, I'm just trying to finish a layup with my left hand. Yeah, that's here. all. <laughs> right. Didn't care about a thing. <laughs> well, how about this? Can I get you interested in this portion of Masters Talk? So at the Masters, every single year, they do. We've been talking about this throughout the day today. They do on the Tuesday night before what they call the Champions Dinner, and you can only be invited to the Champions Dinner if you've ever won the tournament. Okay. And the person who gets to decide the menu every single year at the Champions Dinner is the prior year's winner. So last year, Tiger Woods won the Masters again, and this year for his um, for his dinner, he chose as the appetizer. It was a Tempura and tuna sushi roll. They called it the Augusta roll. It was steak and chicken fajitas. And then it was flan, chocolate flan with churros. Is that that a meal you can get behind? Because I thought to go sushi and Mexican food. Kind of a weird combination. I don't know if I'm going fajitas for my Masters Champions dinner. I've never had flan, so I can't judge the flan. Never had flan either. Uh, 
that sounds do they do they have personal hotels that they, I assume they pay for the hotels for the people to stay in and stuff. Oh, I'm sure it's free. Like yeah, if you're going to the champions free. dinner, you're not paying for yeah. it. Yeah. But if you're also a Masters champion, you've made plenty of money, money playing golf, so it, you're right? good. I'm only saying that cuz not because of anything financial, it's just that sounds like it would really hurt your stomach. Yeah. <laughs> I just <laughs> I'm just making sure because in my head I'm not on right. Tiger Woods uh, money situation. In my head I'm like, man, I have to drive back home in this, and then I have to. It's like it's like you look up there and you got Phil Mickelson and VJ Singh sharing a hotel room and sharing yeah. a bathroom after eating the sushi and yeah. the chicken and steak fajitas. That's, that's that's what's going on in my head. I'm like, oh right. god, you're thinking directly, uh, respectfully to who you may be having to share yeah. a. Uh... That'd be a nightmare. <laughs> If you had to design a champion's dinner, what would it look like? Because I did mine earlier. Okay. And I I did it and Kyle Gaskins did it. We both took the approach of paying an homage to Eastern North Carolina. Okay. I went I went with um oysters. You can get them steamed or you can get them raw. Mm. Oysters out of the Pamlico Sound. I'm going Skylight Inn Barbecue. Okay. Shout out Skyline Inn up in Greenville. Uh, they're never sponsor us, but they're awesome. And if you don't know about Skyline, go hit them up. <laughs> and then, uh, and then, uh, yeah, Skylight, excuse me. Um, and then what did I go for dessert? Oh, for dessert, just because I wanted to mess with people, I'm going to go with the classic mud pie that you may have had as a child yeah. where it's like crushed Oreos yeah. and chocolate pudding and then gummy worms. Yeah. <laughs> because I think people would be like, we're at Augusta National Golf Course and we're eating gummy worms and Oreo <laughs> mud pie. Uh, Kyle did, he went oysters also actually, and then he did shrimp and grits, pimento cheese shrimp and grits, yeah, that's where I was going. and then just apple pie and ice cream for dessert. And Von Casey wins the Masters. Yes, <laughs> Which improbable. Is, that is a pipe dream. I mean, dude, I don't think I have a chance. I'm gonna be there way before you. Yeah, very improbable. <laughs> where would you? Where would you go with your champions dinner? So in this, like, what would my odds be? Like one, <laughs> one in like a million. Maybe yeah. actually one in a million. Considering I don't play golf. Yeah, no, but one I, in a million would be a. That, those are good odds yeah. for you. Yeah. So I win the Masters. I am going to go ahead and get the flame to do our catering. Ooh, nice. Shout out smoke. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, shout out to them. They can also sponsor. Yeah. They can also sponsor. Are you picking any specific items? Uh, I want that. See, one thing I missed when I used to work there. Oh, that's like, true. I forgot you did work there. Yeah. I need that uh, broccoli casserole. Like mm. the bro- Oh, it's so good. I love some oh, broccoli man. casserole. Yeah, I'm going to mess with Thanksgiving's people. right around the corner. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man. Yeah, this is what this show should be. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a uh, I've got a list of some of the best and the worst Masters Champions dinners okay. from over the years, and I want to get your opinion on these. So, 1998, Tiger Woods, after his first Masters wins, win, went cheeseburgers, chicken sandwiches, French fries, milkshakes. Yeah, I mean. What, who made the Who made the burgers? I have no idea. I don't have. That's I don't important. have that in. That's important. Now, <laughs> now, a good good burger, yeah, might be like it might be worth something, right? Like if you get one of those like gourmet burgers, yeah. But I hope he didn't just stop off at like Mickey D's. And it's like, <laughs> how many people actually at that time? I like a McDonald's burger. I used to do this thing when we had fantasy football drafts. I used to host them all the time, 
uh, back when we were in like high school and stuff. And every single year for the fantasy draft, I would go up to McDonald's and I would buy like 20 burgers, just like the basic $1 cheeseburger. Mm-hmm. And I would take them home and I would cut them in quarters and I would stick a toothpick to them and I would serve them as hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> it was clutch, hey, dude. Man. Let me tell you. Hey, for a bunch of high schoolers, yeah. like they loved that. We, uh, we used to eat that up back in the day. Uh, let's see, 2001, VJ Singh, Seafood Tom Ka, Chicken Penang Curry, Baked sea scallops with garlic sauce, rack of lamb with yellow curry sauce, baked filet Chilean sea bass, and three flavored chili sauce and lychee sorbet. Oh man, he wasn't playing no games. I know. He saw Tiger Woods come out there with cheeseburgers and chicken sandwiches, and two years later, he's like, nah. (laughs) He went out there and won the next year because he was like, I'm not eating damn cheeseburgers and chicken sandwiches (laughs) at Augusta. I refuse to ever let this happen (laughs) again. I am a professional golfer. I am not eating a cheeseburger. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to find one of the bad ones here. Um, a guy named Sandy Lyle won it all the way back in 1989. Mm-hmm. His champion's dinner, and this is great. Um, I'm guessing he's Scottish. He served haggis, I was gonna say. mashed potatoes, and mashed turnips. Oh, so it's not even another option. You're nah, getting haggis. You're getting haggis. Do you, I don't even really know what haggis is. Haggis is... It's like lamb guts? Yeah, it's the gut of the lamb, and it's I think it's stuffed full of... Oh, meat. God. <laughs> Disgust- I threw up in my mouth a little bit. <laughs> I think that uh, I'm sure a Scottish person will uh, correct me on it, but I know that it is like cooked guts. I know that for sure. And if you're Scottish and you want to actually let uh, me try it, I wouldn't be mad at it. What is the grossest thing that you will eat? Are you like a picky eater? No, not really. No, I'm trying to think if there anything that you've ever eaten that is like That's- you were like, ah, oh, I just can't do that. I don't. No, I'm trying to think because most things that I thought I wouldn't like, I actually ended up liking. Like squid, mm-hmm. it's really good. Right. Um, even when people say the tentacles like pop, I was like, I'm okay with that. Like, I like right. it. Pop, pop. Yeah, Let's go. it was good. <laughs> they were good. Um, huh. I, I, only thing I don't like would have to be I don't really like canned tuna. And it's not, canned tuna. Yeah, yeah. That's my only thing that I just can't okay. eat anymore. Huh, I'm trying to. Th- I had something recently that I'm trying to remember. I had a duck burger recently, and, was, okay. and I've had like duck breast before. Mm-hmm. The duck burger was out of this world. I was gonna say duck is good. Shout out to Fork and Cork down in Carolina Beach. That was sick. Uh, I'm trying to. Th- I don't it's think there's for some of these shout outs. Yeah, yeah, I know. Right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> this and we're still haven't heard from now. That's what I call music from last week. Look, <laughs> yeah. still waiting to hear back. Uh, 1994, Bernard Langer served turkey and dressing. Um, and infamously, there was no gravy. It was oh, just like man. the stuffing and like the driest just meat dry imaginable. Turkey? Just dry turkey. And then a black forest tort, which I don't even know what that is. Uh, this was my personal favorite. This was about four or five years ago. Bubba Watson served a Caesar salad, okay. grilled chicken breast, a side of green beans, mashed potatoes, and corn. Oh, so he went full PTA dinner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like he's on a diet. <laughs> grilled chicken breast. Grilled chicken. If, if, I, if you invite me to an event and you serve me grilled chicken breast, I'm slapping it. Like, yeah. I'm taking it and just throwing that grilled chicken breast in your face. That's all he wanted? That's all he wanted. Like, he knows that Green he, beans, he, mashed potatoes, and corn. Everything is available to him. In and that just moment. a basic Caesar salad. That's why people don't like Bubba Watson. That's uh, that's like a known thing. People, nobody likes Bubba Watson. <laughs> nobody likes Bubba Watson. All right, I got Vaughn in here today. Uh, we're getting ready to talk a little NFL here in just a second for a couple minutes. 
because Vaughn brought something to my attention as he walked into the studio. But Vaughn, I have some movie questions I want to ask you today. Okay. Uh, one revolving around DMX. Okay. And the other one, yeah, because I don't know if you know about this, but this flew under my radar, and I learned something over the weekend that I need to know about. All right. And then just the movie industry as a whole here, uh, I'm not going to say post-pandemic, but you know, nine, ten months into a pandemic, what in the hell is going on with the movie industry? Vaughn's a big movie guy. But when you walked in here today, Vaughn, I was like, hey, man, what's going on? Blah, blah, blah. What do you want to talk about today? And you said, I am not sure who is at the top of the NFL. I am not sure who at the top of the NFL standings is a team that I can believe in and rely on and trust. So I'm going to sort of throw some teams out there to you. And I want you to explain to me your level of trust or distrust with them. And the team I'm going to start with is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yes. Who are 8-0. There has never been a time in Steelers history where they have gone 8-0 and not won a Super Bowl. Yes. Are you putting them at the top right now? Is this a team that you feel like you can trust and solely can trust? Or are you still kind of like, eh, I still don't know about these Steelers? Okay, so here's the thing. (laughs) I'm a Cowboys fan. Right. (laughs) And so I watched the game. I was expecting the game to go off. Around the first second quarter, mm-hmm. before before so I was expecting it to go around off around the second quarter because Pittsburgh has scored twenty six straight points, and yeah. <laughs> for some reason Ben DiNucci's back on the field. This right. is what I was was thinking was going to happen. It's so sad, dude. I had to. I have. I played a fantasy league where I have to stream two quarterbacks. Yeah, I was so desperate. I picked up Garrett Gilbert and played him last week. <laughs> I lost. Yeah, yeah, I, I lost. Say. <laughs> Deservingly so, but (laughs) okay. So the game starts. I'm like, hmm. Pittsburgh doesn't look uh look all that good for a a seven and zero team playing against a Dallas Cowboys team, which they are definitely supposed to be shredding. And as the game went on and things got closer, I'm like, if you would have told me that we lose, the Dallas Cowboys lose twenty four to nineteen. Mm-hmm. To the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I would have. And you said there was a lot of interference from the refs. I would have assumed the interference would have came to aid the Dallas Cowboys, <laughs> right? <laughs> but it was all on the like side. That's the of, only possible way they could be in that game, right, right? Right. But it was all on the side of the Steelers, who <sighs> still barely managed to squeak by <laughs> with the win on the Dallas Cowboys. This Dallas Cowboys team. I thought I had more faith in the Steelers, but that kind of. Everybody has an off game. Right. But with Ben Roethlisberger's situation now where he's on the COVID list and the team looking the way it looked last week, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's – um, They've shaken my face. Well, and, and all year long, the Steelers have kind of done that. Um, you know, they, they beat you guys by five. The week before, they snuck by the Ravens. A good team. Granted. A good team. A much better team. Yeah but, yeah, but beat them by four. Beat the Titans by only three a couple of weeks ago. Beat the Texans by only a touchdown. Earlier this year, beat the Broncos by only five points mm-hmm. earlier this year. There's something to being a team that finds a way to win there in is. close games, there right? Is. Like that is that is something that you're always kind of looking for. But there's also something else uh, to be said about when well, you never seem to really fully handle your business. And yeah. and to your point about where do we trust them? You know, if they end up with a, a home field advantage and a bye and their first place in the AFC or they at least win their division, 
that's a that's one conversation. But I sent this to you yesterday, and I think I gave the stat out on air. But the Steelers are in a really tough division. They are a tough division so much that while they do have a seventy-two chance to win that division, the Philadelphia Eagles have a seventy-nine percent chance <laughs> to win the NFC East. So yeah. it's like not even a surefire thing. The Eagles have a better chance of getting first place than the Pittsburgh Steelers in their respective division. So. Um, I think I'm with you on the Steelers. We knew they were going to be good. I think we actually had them starting the season 6-0 and or 7-0 and and then losing to the Ravens for the first time this year. But maybe a little bit of calls for Pauls early for the Steelers. So let me go to a different team. I'll stay in the AFC for now. Buffalo Bills are 7-2. and Started off hot, cooled off, back on another hot streak. Just dismantled the Seahawks. And you can include the Seahawks in this conversation, conversation as a team that we were supposed to – Maybe be riding into the Super Bowl representatives in the AFC. Yeah. Uh, NFC, excuse me. The Bills. Man, that, that was – when I was watching the game, when I would see the clips of it, I was like, oh, I'm sure Russ will come back. Right. Just, just because it's, it's Russell Wilson. It's Russell. Like, you know? It's what he does. <laughs> it's what he does. It doesn't matter how many touchdowns he's down by. He'll find a way to throw five in the fourth quarter or something like that. Right. <laughs> but the Bills said No. And saying that to Russ is very, very hard. There's only a certain number of teams that have done that. And the only one I can think of off the top of my head is that Patriots team that won the Super the Super Bowl doing it, denying yep. him a, a touchdown completion. So the Bills look – this is going to sound crazy. But you want to talk about finding a way to win. The Bills are finding a way to beat better teams. Mm-hmm. Which is incredibly necessary in the uh, in the NFL, especially when there are so many teams that could be classified as better than you. It's kind of the opposite of what we were just saying with the Steelers, Steelers where it's like the Steelers find a way to win, but they should be beating a team like the Broncos by more than five points. Yes, Buffalo Bills really didn't have much business being in that game against the Seahawks, or so we thought. Mm-hmm. And they, but alas, here we are. <laughs> they take them apart. Like if it wasn't right. for a couple of. Uh, Late game heroics from Russ. The game's a complete shutout, and um, I don't want to see what this Bills team could do possibly to a Ben Roethlisberger less Steelers team. Yeah, I like I don't think that's a good scenario that you want to really run up no. into. No, and I think Roethlisberger is going to be okay. Before they put him on the COVID list, um, they said he probably was going to play, even though they, I think he said. They said he had an injury to both knees. Yeah. <laughs> an injury to both knees right now. And then, uh, you know, like I saw Baker Mayfield was put on the COVID list and he was reactivated. I think you only need to test negative three days in a row or something mm-hmm. to be cleared. Mm-hmm. Russell Wilson's interesting. I'm, I'm not buying the Bills. Um, okay. and not that they don't have the potential, but because Josh Allen just always presents the risk of making unnecessary turnovers. He does. But that's what we saw from Russell Wilson this past weekend. It's what we saw with Russell Wilson against the Arizona Cardinals in that overtime overtime game, excuse me, on Sunday night football or Monday night football, whatever it was a few weeks ago that they lost. Russell Wilson this morning and the latest Vegas odds was still eking out Patrick Mahomes for NFL MVP this year. Okay. Which is cool because the guy's never even received a single vote for NFL MVP, which is <laughs> absurd yeah, sounding. That's crazy. But Russell Wilson this year 28 touchdowns, pretty much 300 yards a week. It's playing some of his best football we've ever seen, but at the same time, he's kind of playing some of the worst football we've ever seen from Russell Wilson. He has eight interceptions this year so far. Mm-hmm. That is more total 
than he has had in previous two the previous two seasons. Okay, so already now he has surpassed his interception total. Two point seven percent of his throws end in an interception. Clearly the highest number that he's ever had. Mm-hmm. And twice now in three different games, Russell Wilson has thrown an interception in the end zone. Mm-hmm. So they're correctable mistakes, but for the same guy who has the famous interception in the end zone to Malcolm Butler in yeah. the Super Bowl, the same kind of mistake seems to be haunting him continually. I think of the teams we've talked about so far, the Steelers, the Bills, and the Seahawks, I'd say I still have the most faith and trust in Seattle. Yeah, me too. Even with that loss. I don't know why. I want to say it's because of Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson, and that's it. Their defense is atrocious, dude. They have the worst passing yeah, defense <laughs> in football. It is absurd. They're, they're there with the Cowboys. I got Patrick Mahomes in fantasy football, mm-hmm. and he's on a bye this week. I picked up Jared Goff as a no-brainer this week because they're playing Seattle. And I'm like, Jared Goff's been bad, but anybody can throw for 350 yards. Against which, them. Which is insane because they went and got Jabal Adams, and they were supposed to be so good. <laughs> Yeah, I think it, it think it comes down to what they uh, a little bit of game planning from from Pete Carroll. Uh, Pete Carroll said it himself. After that, they were uh, expecting they weren't expecting to completely abandon the run. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's only so much if you're not game plan uh, for some pass for some passing on a defense that ha- that looked weak before that. Right. Uh, there's a, there's a bunch of problems there. Uh, so. I'm sure Pete Carroll will find a way to bring this team together. They have uh, some talent on that defensive uh, and defensive backfield. They'll be okay, right? But man, did they get shredded last <laughs> week, last week? Not a team that you really want to leave up to chance against. Any team that has Stephon Diggs on it, yeah, yeah you don't want to leave anything up. to No, chance. yeah, because that that dude, if it's fourth quarter, he's got you. Yeah, that's <laughs> over. He's got you. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs eight and one on the year, stubbed their toe against the Las Vegas Raiders. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I saw, I think it was yesterday. Yesterday marked 365 days, a full calendar year, and the Chiefs have lost one football game. 365 days, they've lost one football game. It came against the Oakland Raiders. That was the biggest blowout of Patrick Mahomes' NFL career, and they lost by like seven points. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? But this week, you talked about it. Right down to the wire with the Carolina Panthers. I'm going to give you. I'm going to let you say your thing on the Chiefs. I will say this: the Panthers are a pretty good football team. Um, good enough to get you close, not good enough to get you over the top. And the Chiefs were the first people that had to deal with Christian McCaffrey since Week Two, and he went for 150 total yards and a touchdown. So it's a little bit different to game plan against a guy like that. But your level of faith in the Kansas City Chiefs, I mean. I, I want to say we're looking at an AFC championship between them and the Steelers, yep. but but I don't know. I'm sitting here saying Chiefs, and you're you're kind of you know looking at me like I just don't know about this team. So the Chiefs are. There's no need to deny how good the Chiefs are when the Chiefs are really good. Like there, right. there's just there's just yeah. There's not another team in football that can reach that level. And there's still I, don't, I still even right now you can't deny that. Yeah, but. There seems to be some variance in how dominant they are week to week. Yeah, and I, this is the NFL. Like you can't expect to go out and beat everybody by all the points every week. Yeah. Um, that was not my critique of the Steelers. Was that they had to beat everybody by all the points, but they should be able to handle a. a they should be able to handle Denver Broncos. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but when it, with Kansas City, when you when you look at the things that they do well, it spells out championship. And it spells out repeat. Uh-huh. 
But there are certain teams this year that, while they are, can't compete with Kansas City on their best day, if they catch Kansas City on the on the right day, like the Las Vegas Raiders, not a better team no. by any step. It doesn't mean doesn't mean if you lose one game, you're pop, you that you're like out of it and <laughs> out of you're completely out of it for me. But this is the year where teams get caught up looking looking forward. Mm-hmm. Because of how much is just how much is going on everywhere, they get caught looking forward a little bit, trying to get to the end of the season. And when you have the Bills, who aren't the best team in the world, lurking around out there, yeah, you can get caught. Let me ask you this question, because I think most people would say that the two best teams—I'll say in all of football, but at least in the AFC—are the Kansas City Chiefs and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mm-hmm. When you think about how these two different teams play, and we're we're not it's not that we're holding them to the same standard, but we look at Pittsburgh and they're not blowing everybody out. Not that they should, like you said. It's like, yeah. hey, we don't expect you to. Yeah. But they keep finding a way to win. Pittsburgh is built, and this is just gonna sound so generic <laughs> as all get out. Yeah. They're a football team. Like when yeah. you have to imagine like hard nosed Mike Tomlin, Pittsburgh Steelers football. What do you imagine? You imagine a team that is a very balanced offense. Mm-hmm. They play really solid defense, and it may not be pretty, but at the end of the day, they're going to win. They're going to win. They're going to have more points on the scoreboard. When you look at Kansas City, it is new age millennial football. Yeah, it is drop back, yolo, no look passes. Hey, we've got five guys who are six foot tall that run under a four three forty, and we're going to sling them all straight down the field. We've got a tight end who wanted to be a bachelor contestant. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's us. I, I, that is that is millennial football. We're going to go out there. The best defense is a better offense. Yeah, <laughs> built two very different ways. Which would you rather have? The traditional grinded out football team or the come catch me, bet you can't football team? There's only one variable in that because usually I would go with the more balanced team because I mm-hmm. like balanced uh, play style. Patrick Mahomes That's is true. just a, he's just there's not another one. There's there's not been <laughs> you would have to compo- combine the best part of different players right. to get to where Patrick Mahomes is. <laughs> like the way he's playing. Like you would have to be like, oh he has Warren Moon's arm. You know <laughs> you know? Like he and he's he makes his receivers look like Chris Carter. He has sixty seven percent completion percentage this year, twenty seven hundred yards, twenty five touchdowns, one interception. You always see the touchdown to interception <laughs> ratios. You don't ever see twenty five to one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, like it's just it's just it. The team's built around Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. This has been one of the most successful uh, coaching quarterback partnerships that just works since uh, Belichick Brady. Right. Like those two worked because both of them knew exactly what to do to get the best play on the field regardless of who else was playing on the field with them. And it looks like Andy, <laughs> Andy Reid is like, I've had special quarterbacks in the past who I never really got the opportunity to really uh, play with or to really let fly. I'm going to let this ki- – I'm going to see what this kid can do. I'm just going to go out there and build a team that's going to work perfectly for him and see what he can do. And you end up with 25 touchdowns and one interception. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, 
He's playing outstanding. All right, I want to continue this conversation because you just brought up a point that I, I've been wanting to ask you about. It's funny you brought it up because I had it jotted down in my phone earlier this week. we got to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk some more NFL. If you were listening, Bon just brought up a very interesting point uh, that I want to push him on a little bit further. So Von Casey sitting in here with me this afternoon. This is the Sam Avila Show right here on 252 ESPN Radio. Welcome back to the Sam Avila Show. Von Casey hanging out here with me today. I love this is this is now what I'm going to turn into the 24-hour tease, which is my favorite because I'm doing it for the audience and I'm doing it for Vaughn as well. I mentioned last segment um, that I have some questions about movies and the movie industry in general right now with Vaughn. Some of that is because I have started rewatching the show Entourage. Okay. And so I'm like back living like vicariously through Vince as a movie star. Mm-hmm. Did you like Entourage? I did. Entourage was alright. I watched it back in probably like 2011 or 2012, uh, but my girlfriend had never seen it, so we just started it last week, and she loves it. She's hooked. Um, show's good. Movie was terrible, but if you're a fan of the show, the movie was good. If that makes sense. Yeah, a little yeah, yeah. bit. It makes sense. Maybe makes not sense. so much to the point of where. Um, like Avengers, was it uh, Endgame, was sort of supposed to be like a love story to mm-hmm. true Marvel fans. Mm-hmm. That's what it felt like Entourage was. But in Entourage fashion, it wasn't so much like a love story to their fans. It was more just like bleep talking yeah, to the fans. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I got some questions about the movie industry for Vaughn. And Vaughn's very good and up on this stuff. So we're going to push that to tomorrow. But the better part of that conversation is probably going to be something involving DMX. DMX and movies. And it's going to be on tomorrow's show. You just have to make sure that you're back and listen to it. I'm very excited to hear this. <laughs> I don't think you will be. I think you're going to be excited and then you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> probably. That's yeah. how most exciting you things said, are. You said, what, DMX has done some different movies that you've seen? What is What were the movies that you talked about with DMX? I, I was hoping that he wasn't doing – this wasn't a movie he did. I just hope he wasn't doing another Belly movie because Nas did the Belly movie. What is the Belly movie? Belly was a, a concept <laughs> for a movie that Nas had. It was like – So you didn't watch was, Tiger Woods playing golf. I didn't watch Nas's Belly movies. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Belly was a, a movie that uh, that Nas made. And it it was okay to start off with. It was okay. okay. Then the game, please do, because it, it has its moments. It has its moments where it's actually pretty good. Uh, then it has its, its other moments. Then, because, just because. What is the plot of this thing? Or is there a plot? There's a plot. There is a plot to explain the plot of Belly. Got a 16 on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, it's... It, <sighs> Oh man! <laughs> it's directed tip- by a guy named Hype Williams. Yeah, Hype Williams is a music video director. Okay. <laughs> um, if you know all the flashy, uh, all the flashy mu- music videos from like the mid two thousands, him. It's okay. Him. Um, but it, not Belly. We're not going. We're not even going to go <laughs> into <laughs> the mess that is Belly. But I did not intend to do a segment on the but, on the movie Belly. But the reason I brought it up is because. <laughs> G- game the game the uh-huh. rapper made a sequel oh belly two yes belly two wow and extra it, extra large it, ma- <laughs> it managed to be even worse all right well now i gotta look up belly please two. look up belly two now i would recommend watching belly two for a lot because <laughs> <laughs> belly two is a lot 
So Belly is on uh, Hulu. I did not know that. Yeah, it's on Hulu according to this. I did not. And then if you have Tubi, whatever the hell that is, you can watch <laughs> Belly Two. Belly Two. Um, it looks like oh oh it's not just called Belly Two. It's called Belly Belly Two Millionaire Boys with a Z Club. Yeah, yeah it is. And <laughs> there's not. I mean, what more do you need? What more do you need from that? It, well, okay, Belly Two is so bad that it is listed on Rotten Tomatoes. It is does not receive a ranking does on not, Rotten Tomatoes. Does not. Would not. I would like to read to you the top review, and this is from this year, June third, two thousand and twenty. Okay, who is watching? We need to go outside. This is a guy by the name of Derek W. He what? is a Rotten Tomatoes reviewer. Wow. Derek W. Re- writes about Belly Two, a millionaire boys club. It was disrespectful to name this movie Belly 2. <laughs> Belly was a classic. Nas, DMX, Method Man, and T-Boz uh-huh. were fantastic in it. Uh-huh. This was a straight-to-DVD, don't-waste-your-time type of movie. It's like they tried to play the whole movie soundtrack throughout the movie. The characters weren't memorable at all. I've had the opportunity to watch this movie for almost a decade and chose to do it during quarantine. I wish I had caught coronavirus. I wish I had never <laughs> sat down and watched it. <laughs> yeah. And so I thought that you, when you said DMX the movie, I was like, oh, my God, he's going back to the well. Going belly three. And he's going belly three. <laughs> so but, Let me go ahead and tell you this. The DMX movie that I've got for you is worse than belly two. Whoa. It is worse than belly two, oh, no. and it is probably X, worse than what you can imagine belly three hypothetically could even be. X, man. As long as if X is healthy and doing things that make him happy, even if it is atrocious, I gotta, <laughs> that's all I can. That's all I can ask for. That's all we could ask for. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna finish up this NFL discussion here in just a second, but I wanted to squeeze this in here real quick. NBA draft is next weekend or yes. next week. Excuse me, next Wednesday. We're gonna do some NBA draft stuff next week because I love drafts. I do too. NFL and NBA, maybe not so much. MLB or NHL. No, I don't care about that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But the NBA draft is next week. That's going to be really exciting. But even better is two days later, NBA free agency Mm -hmm. is going to begin. And oftentimes, and uh, I've been saying this more often than not lately, but the transactions, especially in the NBA, can be more fun than the actual action on the court. Yes. The hypotheticals of who can go where, who can go where, the ever-changing landscape of the NBA is part of the league's charm and appeal. Would you like the list? This is the definitive list of top free agents this NBA offseason, according to thescore.com. This is this is not my list. This is from thescore.com. Yes. And I want you to tell me Curious. how excited you are for NBA free agency. Okay. Free agent number one, and he has a player option, Anthony Davis. Okay. All likelihood he's returning to LA. Probably. That's Always. what it sounds like. Um, free agent number two. This is the second best. Brandon Ingram. He is a restricted okay. free agent. The Pelicans have the option to uh, – what that means is basically if somebody comes in and offers Brandon Million – Brandon Million. Brandon. <laughs> Brandon about to make a million. Yeah, Brandon right. Ingram. Shout Kinston. <laughs> right. If, if Brandon Ingram gets offered from another team, the Pelicans have the right to match. That's mm-hmm. the re- restricted free agent. Brandon Ingram's not going anywhere. He's staying in New Orleans. I would so the top two names on the list are staying put. The third best free agent, according to thescore.com, Fred Van Vliet. Okay. okay. Number four, Montrez Harrell. Okay. Number five, Bojan Bogdanovic. 
All right. Number six, Danilo Gallinari. Ooh. Number seven, the Ooh. seventh best free agent, Serge Ibaka. Still. Good for a search. <laughs> number eight, DeMar DeRozan. Okay. Number nine, Joe Harris. All right. <laughs> okay, okay. Number eleven, Davis Bertans. <laughs> Yo, who wrote who wrote this list? This is from the score.com. Oh, yeah, and the reason I'm telling you this, I'm gonna run through the list the rest of the way. Jeremy Grant, Mark Gasol, Dwight Howard, Andre Drummond, Tristan Thompson, Tim Hardaway Jr., Malik Beasley, Hassan Whiteside, Christian Wood. A lot of former Knicks in there. Christian Wood at number twenty. <laughs> Wow. The reason I bring this up is because I was excited when I heard the news that they're going to start NBA free agency two days after the draft. Mm -hmm. That excitement quickly faded. I saw this list featured on the jump yesterday. And I was like, okay, you know what? Let's just go ahead and not worry about free agency this year. If you're telling me you got to try to convince me that I need to get excited because my team might add Danilo Gallinari, hard pass. Hard task. I'm good. Hard task. What did you think about the reports about CP3 and the Phoenix Suns potentially making a deal? Where uh, CP3 might find his way to Phoenix. I just scratched my head at that. I, look, man. See, uh, Chris Paul has had one of the most interesting career trajectories <laughs> yeah. uh, I can I can think of. Uh, he he chooses spots where it seems like he could win, right? But it, he doesn't choose a spot where he's guaranteed to win. He seems like he's always choosing spots where he can get to the Western Conference semifinals. Yeah, yeah. That's like I don't know. Maybe maybe that maybe that works out better than L.A. Did. Houston. Yeah. Uh, shoot, he did it with Oklahoma City this year. They got to the semifinals, didn't yeah. they? And then um, Phoenix. I mean, I give Phoenix credit. They haven't lost a game in a long time. They went eight zero in the bubble. Yeah, they did. <laughs> I mean, we'll see. We'll yeah. see. I don't know how much Phoenix dishes out to Chris Paul at yeah. this point. I know, I'm, and if I'm Oklahoma City, like I hope I'm getting a haul back because Oklahoma right. City is just stockpiling assets. They've got like a buku amount of first round picks over the next four years. They do. What do you? I mean, are you are you getting back like a Devin Booker or a DeAndre Ayton? Because if you're Phoenix, you would never do that. Like you can't sell your young talent as soon as you get. Chris Paul even want to go team. there? I have no idea. Those reports were circling last night. Even Maybe if, I'll look into that some yeah, more today. If Booker leaves, what what are you going to right. Phoenix for? And if you're Phoenix, are you are you mortgaging the next few years of draft picks? I mean, maybe you are because you don't really have any room. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. it's like we don't want to draft anybody because we just drafted this young stud. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe uh, we could see who comes out in the next couple of years, but <laughs> I don't. I wouldn't bet my future on Chris Paul. <laughs> I'd like to see him go to Phoenix because I have a huge problem with Chris Paul ever since he hit Julius Hodge and the family jewels back in the day at NC State. <laughs> So uh, it's one of the funniest plays. In he and I got back. We got beef. Okay, I had a little Hodge jersey when I was a kid. Man, I was a big Julius Hodge hurt. fan. Yeah. I was hurt. Gotcha. I felt it. Yeah, I felt it. It's like it's like a symbiotic pain sharing moment between so you myself fell over. and Julius Hodge. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Right. It's like Chris Paul hit me in the nuts. <laughs> who was the one who was it? Rondo who kicked somebody in the side of the head in the middle of a game? Oh, probably. It was. A, I think did Rondo play for Kentucky? I don't know where Rondo played. Somebody kicked somebody in the side of the head in the middle of the game. And there's an iconic picture of them doing it. He played it. in Kentucky. Good job. Okay. Rhonda <laughs> yeah, look kicks it up. in head. Uh, let's see. It looks like a couple times. Yeah. 
Yeah, he kicked Shane Battier. Yeah, he definitely kicked somebody in Kentucky also. Yeah. Yeah. Chris for- Lofton. Nearly kicked Chris Lofton. I love you gotta love Rich Rondo, man. Yeah, wow. that him and him and Chris Paul have been linked to me for that reason because Chris Paul will hit you in the nuts and <laughs> Rondo will kick you in the head, man. Yeah, gosh. <laughs> it's like like gives me uh, Dominican Sue vibes. Yeah, gives me. Uh, you're a UFC fan. You remember when Greg Hardy was in like his second UFC fight and he was beating the hell out of a guy. Yeah, and then the guy was like on his knees and you just thought Greg Hardy was like lining up an extra point. <laughs> he just came through there and just just need the dude in the side of the head yeah. and. They just immediately called off the fight, and he didn't get another fight for like a year because they're like, "Dude, what? You can't do that. Yeah, what are that's you doing?" One of the few things that are against the rule. There are right. so few things that are against the rules in the UFC. That's one of the ones that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, like I don't see how he missed that. <laughs> like, come on, Greg Hardy, this isn't your ex girlfriend. Oh. Whoa, moving on, <laughs> moving on. Let's. Hey, get that's back. their fault for giving a horrible person another chance. <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> Uh, let's get back to this NFL stuff for just a second as we uh, try to wind down the show. You were talking um, as we were going into the break about different coaches and what they can bring to a team, different quarterbacks, what they can bring to a team. We were sort of discussing, would you rather have the high-flying offensive potential in a team like the Kansas City Chiefs, or would you rather have a more traditional, balanced, grinded-out style of football team like the Pittsburgh Steelers are this year? And you brought up the point, like, well, you know, Tomlin's such a good coach. And on the other side with Kansas City, Patrick Mahomes is just so special that, you know, it, it seems like you just about throw anybody in there. I know Andy Reid's a remarkable coach, yeah. but you could throw a lot of coaches in there that could do some winning mm-hmm. with Patrick Mahomes with the talent that he has given. I thought about this question earlier than in the week, and the two teams that made me think about it were the Chargers and the Dolphins. Okay, I see where you're going. And so the question I want to ask you is, if you are a team that's at rock bottom, mm-hmm. you are the New York Jets, because the New York Jets are looking at potentially a completely blank slate at both the quarterback position and the head coaching position, potentially. Mm-hmm. What would you rather have first? What is more important to you? What would you feel better about getting? The coach first or the quarterback first? So this question is one that requires some, you know... A little nuance. A little little bit of nuance, because it's easy to pick one or the other, but I think it all depends on who is that quarterback and who is that coach. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're getting a a franchise-changing, once-in-a-generation talent at quarterback, and, I mean, you got to go with the quarterback. Like, on-field play... Can only run so much if you don't have a good quarterback, at least right. an okay quarterback coming from the head coach. But if you have if you have that head coach, like somebody like Mike Tomlin, right? Like if I was going to start, if I was going to have to to choose, and I was going to have to start an organization tomorrow, I'm not guaranteed to have the greatest quarterback in the world. Nope. I have to go with somebody like Mike Tomlin, somebody like a, a coach that I know that. One of these days, we're going to get the opportunity to build on this team, and we're going to get a pretty good quarterback in there. Like we, you could find somebody like without great quarterbacks, we probably without great coaches, we probably don't get a Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah, in, in Pittsburgh, like, right? I mean, this is a guy who kind of came out of not came out of nowhere, but you know, drafted out of the Miami of Ohio. Yeah, but Mike Tomlin, as good as Roethlisberger's been his whole career, Mike Tomlin has never once had a losing season. 
Yeah. He does not have one single losing season as a head coach, and that includes last year where Big Ben missed 14 games, and he had to deal with Mason Rudolph and a guy named Duck Hodges. Yes. And Mike Tomlin still got that team above 800. And... Or about 500, excuse yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking 8 eight, eight, yeah. eight, eight, I got you. But, um, yeah, when you, have the, when you have the coach of the future, when you have your coach of the future, so many things start to fall in place. Mm-hmm. And even a quarterback that you can develop into something becomes, like, the greatest asset. Yeah. Like, I'm just thinking of all the coaches that, that I've seen create great players, like bring bring something out of a player that was all, probably always there, just wasn't used to the best of its ability. Like somebody like Brady had no business being as great as he was for as many years as he was. Right. If that franchise doesn't have the stability of a great coach. Mm-hmm. You look at a guy like Drew Brees, mm-hmm. who when he was in San Diego way back then, wasn't really anything special. Nobody, everybody thought Drew Brees after an injury or two was like, "Yeah, he's done." Winds up in New Orleans with Sean Payton, and he turns into complete, you know, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> argument for the greatest quarterback <laughs> of all time. Uh, Patrick Mahomes. I mean, when he was at Texas Tech, his coach was Cliff Kingsbury, and yeah. Mahomes was a fine college quarterback, but they didn't really win anything. They weren't a good football team. He gets to Kansas City, give him Andy Reid, things start to be unlocked and look a little bit different. Yeah. Um, Shoot, you look at a guy like Alex Smith, who spent all those years in San Francisco, was never really able to do much. Heads out to Washington, gets hooked up with Kyle Shanahan back when he was still the OC there. and Same thing, Matt Ryan was always mediocre. Kyle Shanahan goes to Atlanta. Kyle Shanahan gets Matt Ryan an MVP trophy. Yeah, I mean... (laughs) It, it, and this is no, nothing away from the players because the players have to put in the work to do it. But yeah. when a coach game plans around, I know what my personnel is. Right. And my playbook reflects the best qualities of each of my players that are going to be on the field. Right. You, It looks like a like a completely different player out there. Like Matt, Matt Ryan's another one. I'm only thinking of this because we live in an age where somebody like a Patrick Mahomes exists. And... They're running all over the field, not looking at who they're passing the ball to. And Matt Ryan is your standard big arm. Not He's not going to run for a first down that often. He's not that mobile of a quarterback. And he has an MVP trophy sitting on, <laughs> sitting yeah. on his shelf at home. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah, coaches, I, I would probably dare go with the um, – probably go with the coach if i know that this is the coach that can bring success to my franchise yeah and i mean so much of it's kind of hard to evaluate i mean both of them clearly are because if it was easy to evaluate we wouldn't have any whiffs, right we wouldn't yeah. have bust we wouldn't have bad coaches that pop up from time to time um you have heaped a lot of praise on carolina's coach matt rule mm-hmm. and matt rules one of those guys that it if you look at the position that carolina's currently in it's like okay They've got Matt Rule. We feel like Matt Rule is a good coach. He's shown that he's a pretty good coach. Now we can kick the can down the road a little bit and wait for the right quarterback to come mm-hmm. along. Because obviously Teddy Bridgewater is a, a bridge gap. Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I look at the teams that made me think about this earlier in the week were the Miami Dolphins and the L.A. Chargers. Mm-hmm. Well, the L.A. Chargers have been kind of waffling for a while. Anthony Lynn been there for a while. They move on from Phillip Rivers. I mean, I'm not going to say they got lucky on Justin Herbert, but nobody expected Justin Herbert to be out here throwing over 300 yards every single week the way he has. Mm-hmm. They have the quarterback. 
Doesn't look like they have the coach. They wouldn't be losing five yeah. games in a row. They wouldn't have blown four straight games with leads of 16 or more points mm-hmm. if they had a good coach. You look at the Miami Dolphins. They had opportunities to draft quarterbacks. They had opportunities to trade for quarterbacks, sign some quarterbacks in free agency. They held serve, but they had Brian Flores, and they said, we're going to let Brian Flores sort of build his foundation here. Mm-hmm. Then the quarterback came along in two. He's only played two games but looked remarkable he did. a week ago. So I want you to think on about on this for tomorrow. If you're the New York Jets, we'll talk about this tomorrow. If you are the New York Jets and this offseason – Woody Johnson fires the GM. I can't remember. Joe Douglas, I think, is his name. And they get rid of Sam Darnold. Going into next season, if I told you, you can A, have Trevor Lawrence, and then we'll just pick up some random coach. Mm -hmm. Or B, you don't get to have Trevor Lawrence, but I'll give you Dabo Sweeney. Which direction will you go? So we'll we'll tackle that on tomorrow's show because we're going to run fresh out of time here. Um, gosh, Vaughn, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Your prediction, who's going to win the Masters this year? <laughs> um, look, can, I w- can I play this game? Yeah, I, this, I'm not even trying to put you on the spot. Yeah, I do this ahead. to Carolina all the time. Just start naming golfers. Uh, I got Bubba Watson. Okay. Uh, One. I'm sure there's a guy named Bob in there somewhere. <laughs> Okay, I'm sure there's a Bob. Too. I'm sure there's a Bob. There's a, a Bob. Uh, uh, I don't even think there is. I'm no, trying to probably not. My, I'm trying to go through my mind. I'm like, I don't think we make Bobs anymore. Uh, Timothy Makey. I don't know who that is, but it sounds like a golfer name. <laughs> Timothy Makey does sound like a great golfer, though, doesn't he? Timothy Makey. There's a Colin Morikawa. That's what made me. That Timothy Makey. Yeah. Shout out yeah. Colin Morikawa. Yeah. Morikawa. Morikawa. Oh, Morikawa. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to him. For more. Masters breakdown and analysis. You can follow Vaughn on Twitter, V O N K two five two. That's you know what? Vaughn K two five two. Just for y'all, just for the two five two ESPN audience, I will live tweet the Masters. Oh my god! And with my very basic understanding of golf, <laughs> that one went in the water. Yeah, that one went on the grass. <laughs> he hit that far. Yeah, that's a good club. <laughs> Masters gets underway 7 a.m. tomorrow morning, so set your alarms up bright and early. I will not be watching, but we'll talk a little Masters. Maybe. Probably not on tomorrow's show. We'll see. But Vaughn's going to be back here tomorrow. Jamie Heath's going to be here tomorrow as well. Hey, you can always follow myself at Sam Avalos on Twitter. Of course, you can follow Vaughn again, V-O-N-K, Vonk252, at Vonk252. And, of course, if you miss any of the show, if you missed the conversation with Kyle Gaskins earlier in the day, that's really where you're going to get your master's breakdown. I uh, appreciate Kyle stopping by and taking some time for that. If you missed it, check out the Sam Avalos Show podcast. You can get it anywhere that you get your podcast. DMX tomorrow? DMX tomorrow. DMX, the greatest movie of all time. We're going to talk about that coming up on tomorrow's show. More movie stuff, more football stuff, maybe some more NBA stuff. Maybe Vaughn's got some ideas. Who knows? We'll see. Talk to you tomorrow, knuckleheads.